That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. Yep, we start with a big move by President Obama yesterday. We had called on the president, as you know, last week uh, here on the show. I asked the question at the briefing at the White House. And President Obama yesterday announcing one of his final measures. Uh, he announced a, a commuted 209 sentences, issued 64 pardons. The biggest one and the one that made the most news, of course, is the pardon of the commuting the sentence. In effect, it was a pardon, but commuting the sentence, technically, he commuted the sentence of uh, Chelsea Man Manning, formerly Bradley Manning, when he was then accused of leaking uh, documents, secret documents, to WikiLeaks back in 2010, sentenced to 35 years. She has now served almost seven of those years, and uh, according to President Obama's order, he, she will be released and freed on May the 17th. Chelsea Manning, of course, former Army intelligence analyst, private in, in the Army, uh, who leaked 750,000 pages of documents, actually, to uh, WikiLeaks. Documents that were, um, by the way, never, not as high highly rated as the documents that Edward Snowden later released. Um, her, her documents never got above the kind of simply secret, if you will, the lowest level of secret documents. Uh, they were mainly military documents and dipl uh, talking about military activities and diplomatic activities, which caused a lot of embarrassment to the United States because, among other things, uh, they documented that there were prisoners in Iraq that were being tortured <clears throat> with American, pardon me, with American knowledge by uh, Iraqi military and by the involvement with some American officers, which, of course, we all learned about later through Abu Ghraib. Um, the, there were also um, reports in those papers that the number of civilian deaths in Iraq was far, far greater than the U.S. Uh, military, than the Pentagon was admitting. Um, and... Um, on the diplomatic side, there were there was there were a lot of lies being told about to our allies about why we had to go to the war in Iraq, why the work was really Iraq, war in Iraq was really justified when it really was not. So embarrassing documents, seven hundred fifty thousand pages, nothing in them was ever proven to have uh, in any way undermined the national security of the United States. Nevertheless. Uh, Chelsea Manning was given the longest sentence ever given out for any uh, whistleblower or for anyone who leaked documents. And, of course, as we have pointed out, and many others have too, what a contrast to the total lack of punishment, total just a mere slap on the wrist to General David Petraeus, who leaked far more serious documents, did far, far worse than Chelsea Manning, and did not spend one day in prison at all. And, of course, 
Uh, Chelsea Manning had a very tough role in prison. I mean, he at the time was dealing with the question of uh, his sexuality. It turned out he's transgender. Uh, thanks to the support and the and his representation by the ACLU, um, the the army did provide for him to have gender gender transition surgery, which is no easy thing to go through. Of course, on top of that, he uh, he was sentenced as the only female then in an all male prison, um, and um, went on two hunger strikes, try a couple of several hunger strikes, I believe, uh, attempted suicide at least twice. Uh, a very rough time in prison. Uh, President Obama, I believe, did absolutely the right thing in pardoning Chelsea Manning. It's just too bad that it took too long, but she will be free as of May 17. What do you think? Was this a commutation of her sentence the right thing for President Obama? Uh, give us a holler at, uh, at, um, on Twitter, at BP Show. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, and by the way, there was no pardon for Edward Snowden, which um, people didn't expect, but what also I believe uh, in the line of uh, pardoning Chelsea Manning and also General, I forget his first name, Cartwright, uh, yeah. who is another one who was accused of talking to reporters about some cyber activities that we had against Iran. Uh, he pleaded guilty to that. He had not yet been sentenced. The, the president also pardon, did pardon him. But no pardon for Edward Snowden. And no pardon, uh, nothing at all, for Rod Blagojevich. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> Governor Blagojevich. Let's just hate that. Uh, he remains cooling his heels. The reaction yesterday was um, predictable on the part of some. Paul Ryan said this was outrageous that this dangerous person be allowed on the streets of America. Come on, Paul Ryan. <laughs> uh, but even one Democrat. Uh, Robert Menendez from New Jersey said, no, wrong, wrong decision. There are very serious consequences when you release the type of documents that she did. And at the end of the day, uh, what message do we send for the next person who thinks that they can get a treasure trove of documents, release them because something inspires them to do so? I think uh, the message that we send is that the federal government has to be sure that it is not doing things that would um, that would embarrass the United States of America, uh, and uh, if they are, uh, they might get caught at it, uh, and so it might end up on the front page of the newspaper thanks to some patriotic leaker like a Daniel Ellsberg, like an Edward Snowden, or like a Chelsea Manning. Glenn Greenwald, uh, the person who, from The Guardian, who broke the uh, story of Edward Snowden, was on with Anderson Cooper last night on A360 on CNN, uh, taking just the opposite point of view. If you look at the top brass in, in the military, like David Petraeus, who leaked far more sensitive secrets than Chelsea Manning did, he didn't spend a day in prison. And I think most of all was the, 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 the conditions under which she was detained. The U.S. found that early on her detention was abusive and inhumane. Um, she's had a lot of difficulty in a men's prison as a trans woman. Um, she's tried to kill herself twice and was punished for it. So I think overall, when you combine the excessive sentence with the humanitarian considerations, President Obama thought it was just to commute her sentence. Again, did he do the right thing? Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, by the way, there's a little sideshow going on here, which is that Julian Assange, the president, or the head of WikiLeaks, did say publicly 
uh, sort of daring President Obama, that if President Obama commuted the sentence of Chelsea Manning, that Julian Assange would voluntarily return to the United States and face charges on his own leaking documents, uh, which now are manifold, not only the uh, Chelsea Manning documents, but also the, the DNC emails and the John Podesta uh, emails. So we'll see whether Julian Assange <laughs> is a man of his word. Uh, I I have a guess. I have a guess, too. Yeah. I, there's no way he comes back. Ain't going to happen. No way, man. No, because then the United States might extradite him to wherever it is, Norway or Sweden, who, who wants him on uh, more serious yeah. more serious charges. Um, good, good for President Obama. Good move, by the way. There are, I guess, Rod Blagojevich and Edward Snowden can... Uh, can still have, keep hope alive uh, is we're told that there may be some more uh, actions, uh, decisions by the president announced tomorrow. Yeah. Or maybe today uh, at his final news conference at 2.15 uh, East Coast time what, in the Brady briefing room at the White House. One name to keep an eye out, by the way, uh, for is Don Siegelman, the former governor oh, of Alabama. yeah. Who uh, was really boy. railroaded. But does he deserve it? This is a Carl Rove. Yeah. Absolutely. And people yeah. are, pe- people, I mean, his name keeps coming up. Um, oh, and there were a lot right. of people who were disappointed uh-huh. that he wasn't out, uh, his name wasn't out there yesterday. So oh, he's got time. We'll see. No, I forgot about him. I met Don Siegelman just before he went to prison uh, at, a, at, a, at a little meeting in an attorney's office here in Washington, D.C. And boy, what a, what a, doubt. what a total abuse of justice. Absolutely. That was. Yeah. Colin Amari is the president and CEO of the National Wildlife Federation, uh, in, joining us in studio today. Hello, Colin. Nice to see you. Good morning, Bill. Hey, Peter. Hey, man. So, President-elect uh, Trump's nominee, Brian Zinke, for Interior. Mm-hmm. He was asked about public lands uh, yesterday uh, at his hearing. Here's a quick little clip. If confirmed, I'll work with each of you to ensure that our public lands reflect higher purpose so that our children's children my granddaughter's children can look back and say we did it right. Yeah. Uh, he's got the right position on that. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things that, that we, we like about Congressman Zinke is that he's been willing to kind of challenge what's becoming Republican orthodoxy, which is selling off the lands. Um, and, you know, he's done it in a few different ways. He's vote, he stood up during votes in, in the House. He, he actually left the platform committee um, this year during the um, in preparation for Republican National Convention because they had this horrific language about selling, basically divesting every public land they possibly could. No differentiation between parks and forests and wildlife refuges. Um, and so, I mean, I think, I think he falls in the category of folks that want to see the man better, and I think we would agree with that. We want to see more collaboration. We want to see more habitat restoration. We want to see, you know, less less damage. Um, but I mean, I think the fact that he's been willing to stand up to his own party in this issue, and frankly, President Trump has been disagreeing also. I mean, with the, with the, the rest of the party and Don Jr. as well. And so this is one area that we can work together on. Uh, it was reported that um, I forget who the earlier there were other people being considered, mm-hmm. but this was the one issue that Donald Jr. 
right, where he stepped in and said, uh-uh, no, this is important, because he's a big hunter. Right? No, exactly. And we, um, we, we had a lot of concerns about the original names, and we, we expressed those <laughs> concerns. <in> our, <laughs> yeah. Some of our donors expressed those concerns, and our partner organizations like the, uh, like the Congressional Sportsman Foundation and Ducks Unlimited and you know, Wild Turkey and you know, Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnership and others. Um, basically, we wanted something that was a sportsman, or at least something that like, lived the outdoor life, right? Something that like, in, appreciated the resource. Um, and a lot of folks that they were, they were, they were discussing at the time um, really didn't have that kind of pedigree and you know, maybe had more, more industry ties, but less of a connection to the land. Where, um, in, in, you know, in, con- in Congressman Zinke, I mean, you have somebody that, you know, he hunts, he fishes, he's um, been a good champion at the state level and the, and the national level. And we don't agree on everything, but, you know, at least he gets our issues. At least we can have a conversation because he's spent time on the landscape. Right. Um, what do you say to those, particularly in the West, um, where the, the, uh, their argument is that too much land is yeah. owned by the federal government and it's uh, um, that, that drains the tax, p- potential tax base for, for many states? Yeah, I, I think and look, I think I think some of the frustration is real, um, and I and I think that the the challenge is that we've moved away from kind of more collaborative models where folks have a lot of input into the way the lands are used. Um, you've seen a paralysis on a lot of the more, um, you know, the timber yields, things like that, because of litigation and other things. And and I think there are these issues around around taxes. I think that the challenge is that the alternative that folks propose of either selling the land, giving the land to the states, which most of whom are facing massive budget crises right now, and the ones that are dependent on oil and gas revenues are very are really struggling right now, given where, where oil prices are, um, or selling them to private interests, um, where you know 75% of folks that hunt and fish in the West do it on public lands. Um, yeah. Those aren't viable solutions. So I think you know, we want to work to make sure they're managed better. You know, let's have, you know, let's have um, kind of balanced use coming out of them and try to stimulate local economies. But frankly, having these lands available for tourism and for recreation is a better boon for local economies than having short-term extraction just cutting down, you know, clear-cutting yeah. a few forests. Go, go, going way back, uh, Ken Burns' documentary on the national parks, yeah. which is so good. Yeah. I, I'm a, phenomenal. I, I, I'm such a lover of the national parks. I know Bill is, too. And one of the points that they make is, you know, we are a considerably young nation when you look at you know yeah. Europe and things like that. But when you look at the natural beauty that we have here, this is this is our greatest resource, and they realize that early on. And that this is why we have the national park system. We have things that no other nation has, and it's so valuable to protect those things. And you know, there's a, a comment uh, in the in the chat room uh, at YouTube.com/slash The Bill Press Show. Someone says, uh, "Republicans who understand the beauty of nature are the kind of people that we could bring to our side." And there is sort of a either you get it or you don't. And when you look at sort of what we have and what we possess, it's so valuable. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, and look, it's, it's valuable on the economic side too. I mean, we have a 646 billion dollar outdoor economy right now. Right. That's one of the biggest wow. sectors. I mean, it's huge. I mean, that's, that is gigantic. It supports more than 6 million jobs. And so when, and this is why you're seeing, you know, leaders like from Patagonia and REI and Bass yeah. Pro Shops and yeah. others basically come out and say this is ludicrous because, yeah. I mean, you're going to undermine a huge sector of the economy, a lot of which is in the very places that are struggling the most um, with, with employment. And, and I think... I mean, it's funny how you, it's funny how your commenter kind of put that about coming to our side. I mean, these were conservative principles. I mean, the, the, yeah. the land estate was set aside yes. by Republicans. Democrats were actually late to the party um, in a lot of ways, and, oh, no. and and now we're you know now it's become more of a center left issue. But it really was a nonpartisan issue until the seventies, really. Oh, no, Ab- absolutely. Uh, again, I remember from my roots as an environmental activist in California that I discovered. I mean, that conservation is it was a republic. The, the leaders of 
save Lake Tahoe, exactly. save the San Francisco Bay, the coastline, were all Republicans. And it, they were basic conservative principles, yeah. right, yeah. Of, of taking care of our resources. Again, maybe going back to Teddy Roosevelt as the, no, exactly. the and, founder. And I grew up in upstate New York. And my local mm-hmm. congressman was a guy named Jim Walsh, and, and Sherry Bullard was in the district next to both great conservationists. I mean, I, I live in Delaware. I mean, Mike Castle. I mean, you had these guys that were you know, just great on these conservation issues. Yeah. I do think with, um, with Congressman Zinke's kind of rapid acceleration to the ranks, um, hopefully sending a signal to others that it's okay to be good on conservation and still be a leader right. in the in the party, but we have to find ways to make these issues nonpartisan again, the way they were for decades. So uh, I, I had a holiday party. I had a, a prominent attorney here in town um, who does a lot of environmental law come up to me and say, Bill, I just want you to know, right? I know you're going to be negative and you're, a lot of these Trump people are really, really bad, but he said, I want you to take a careful look at Congressman Zinke. He says, I think he's okay <laughs> on our issues. Yeah. So you think that people are the Zinke will be approved and with with general support from the environmental community. Yeah, I think I think look, I mean I think there's some votes on some of the regulatory issues that folks aren't thrilled about, some of the EPA rules. Um, some of which did affect Montana in pretty pretty heavy ways just given their their coal base of their of their energy. Um, but like he he gets the North American model of conservation, right? He understands the importance yeah. of public lands. He's been supportive of things like the Land and Water Conservation Fund and dedicated wildlife funding. I mean, yesterday he was talking about the parks maintenance backlog. I mean, these kind of issues that folks in my world talk about a lot, but don't. Right. Oh, I'm sure that came on. straight from Trump. Trump right. seems to be very right. into that sort of. Right. He's a details guy. I'm yeah. sure he directed him on but, that. But Congressman Zinke was, was brilliant because he, he, he talked about the context of infrastructure. He said, you know, yeah. this isn't just about urban infrastructure. He goes, let's talk about, you know, the rural infrastructure. And this is everything getting at the forestry fires that you're seeing right now, ravaging the West, you're getting at, you know, some of these maintenance backlogs, all of which are going to put people to work. And so it's a way to you're going to build the economy in a frame that the president's been, the president-elect's been talking about in terms of infrastructure as the way to make America great again. Yeah. All right. So uh, <laughs> we can give uh, some good marks there to Congressman Zinke, a nominee for Interior. Not necessarily true, perhaps, of the nominee for Energy Secretary. Um, Peter and I happened to be in Senator Bernie Sanders' office uh, setting up for our interview while the senator was meeting with oh. Governor Perry. <laughs> he left that meeting to walk into our interview, uh, and he would not tell us how he planned to vote on Rick Perry, but he did have a comment about Rick Perry. Here's Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, Rick Perry, who is uh, Trump's nominee to be Secretary of Energy. Uh, here is a presidential candidate, uh, Mr. Trump, who told the American people that in his view, climate change was a hoax. Well, I got news for him. It is not a hoax. The scientific community is virtually 100% united in telling us that it is a great environmental uh, planetary crisis. And Rick Perry has said it as a hoax, too. Uh, what's what's the outlook for Rick Perry? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think look, we, we have concerns, right? I mean, there's... And I think you're, I mean, one of the challenges we see is that you're still seeing this fundamental, this attack on fundamental science and just, and, and just the, the questioning of it and then the rise of this kind of alt science, as Sheldon Whitehouse calls it. Um, and, and I think, in, I mean, it's interesting. Rick Perry, I mean, and there's some things that he didn't state that were really good for conservation. So he's been supportive of sportsman issues. He's been supportive of, of some water issues that actually make some sense in conservation issues. But on these climate questions, um, I mean, you know, Daniel Patrick Moynihan used to say, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinions, but now their own facts. Like, we're still fighting over the facts. And I think it's just problematic. I mean, fortunately, there isn't that much in the portfolio of energy that actually affects kind of the broader landscape, um, ironically. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But it's, right. it's mainly running the nuclear programs as much as anything. But the, um, 
which I'm not sure they were fully aware of as they were, as they were talking about. No. But, by the way, and that is scary enough in and of itself <laughs> that Rick Perry is in charge of our nuclear oh, arsenal. And, uh, and, and I, obviously, I think we still have concerns that you wanted to abolish the agency just a few years ago. Um, but, I mean, I think what we're hopeful for is just making sure that the commitments on the renewable side and the, and the cleaner kind of fossil fuel technologies are continue to be advanced because there's been some good progress. Um, both both Secretary Chiu and Secretary Moniz have made a big commitment to kind of technology innovation as a way to reduce our emissions and create a bunch of domestic jobs so we're not just importing products from overseas it would be crazy not to continue that but you have hundreds of thousands of jobs in this country between wind and solar um, that should be supported and frankly texas has been a leader in wind power for for years um, a lot of it was based on the market but you know he has been supportive of at least you know some renewables and so we're hoping to push him on on that to continue to be but ultimately is isn't he also mr fossil fuels i mean how can you come out of texas and not be no right? exactly exactly and i think you know we want to make sure that we're you know reducing emissions from you know gas but i mean the truth of the matter is that more so than any regular that's come up in the last eight years. The market dynamic shifting from from you know coal to gas has has undermined kind of the, the coal industry. And so if, if you know if Governor Perry is willing to work on making those things cleaner and you know kind of more prosperous, there might be again some areas we can work together, and other areas we'll just disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, the most controversial, I believe, of the um, of the president elect nominees, certainly on the environmental side, uh, is Attorney General uh, from Oklahoma, Scott Pruitt to head the EPA. I mean, there has been a pattern, uh, I believe, of Trump choosing people who oppose the very mission of a department to head it. R- Rick Perry said he was going to abolish the Department <laughs> of Energy. Right, right. Yeah. Betsy DeVos has been the enemy of public education. She's named to head the Department of Education. Scott Pruitt has sued EPA more than anybody else on the planet, I guess, and now He's n- nominated to be the, uh, the the administrator no, it, uh, of EPA. Yeah, and we we have great. His concerns. hearing is it's th- today. today. It's ten o'clock today, today. Yeah. and yeah. you know, and I think we just want to make sure the tough questions are asked because. Going back to you know Bill Ruckelhaus and the, you know the huge giants of the Republican kind of conservation movement, um, you know guys like Bill Riley, Bill, um, Bill Riley and, and, and Bill Ruckelhaus and, 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 too. Yeah, and I put Chrissy Todd Whitman in that category. Yeah. Even yeah. Secretary yeah. Levitt, our Administrator Levitt, was great. Um, and. I, there's never been a nominee that that question kind of sound science. I mean, if I mean Bill uh, Bill Riley had a great quote the other day. He was talking to a reporter and he said he said you know, that <laughs> kind of the secular religion of EPA is predicated on sound science. And so if you have somebody that's attacking that, like you undermine the entire mission, which is simply <laughs> simply to protect public health and the environment. Um, you know, the 14 lawsuits are, are concerning, um, and obviously some of the industry relationships and the timing of some of the lawsuits with you know various contributions are, are just, they're just questions that have to be answered. But we've never had some that kind of attack the underlying mission of the department or the, of the agency being put up for secretary or for administrator um, in the 47-year history of the organization. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Our friend of Bill here for this entire hour, Sabrina Siddiqui from The Guardian. Betsy DeVos had her oh, hearing yesterday. Quite the hearing it was. Quite the hearing it was. And it was pretty pretty rocky road. I mean, Are you aware wh- of the phrase potential grizzlies? 
Do you know what that means? Oh, my God. I was going to ask you about this. This is insane. No, Have you seen this? No, no. Uh, set it up. Well, Tell me. There is so much to go through, I feel like. It's like so unusual for a hearing for an education secretary to be this controversial and to yield any kind of uh, moments, so to speak. It's pretty mundane usually. But she was asked, about, uh, Betsy DeVos, about whether she believes that guns belong in schools. And she was citing, I believe, Wyoming or but she goes she basically says, well, in some cases, in some states that that it's appropriate to have them because of potential grizzlies, as in grizzly bears who might come. Bear attacks. Here we go. Is this it? Right. You can't say definitively today that guns shouldn't be in schools. Well, I, I will refer back to uh, Senator Enzi and the school that he was talking about in Wapiti, Wyoming. Wapiti, Wyoming. I think probably yeah. there, I, I would imagine that there's probably a gun in the school to protect from potential grizzlies. <laughs> potential grizzlies. So potential, gri- <laughs> potential grizzlies started trending on Twitter. And also she basically... By the way, has, has when won- you came to the studio today, did you notice an armed guard with you we have on the uh, at the entrance to the building? Potential no. grizzlies. The first no. Floor. no yeah, we have somebody down there. Grizzlies. Well, whoever it is. Potential. <laughs> potential, potential. Well, Peter might be mistaken with the big beard and everything. Wow. Wow. Oh. wow. oh. I don't think that was intended to make me feel very good about it. No, this. it was about the beard. No, potential grizzlies. Oh, come on. Have you? No, I'm Peter. Kidding. Yeah, he knows. Yeah. So, how did the hearing go in general? I mean, uh, tough well, questions? Well, there were or... tough questions from Democrats, and I think anytime she didn't want to have to answer a question, she said, I look forward to working with you on that issue. Uh, one of the other issues that came up was she wouldn't commit to upholding the president, meaning President Obama's, uh, guidelines on campus sexual assault, the protections that his administration put in place so that not just on college campuses, but also in K through 12 schools, uh, there's a a, more of a strict process for investigating allegations of sexual assault. Um, And she she was asked directly twice if she's willing to commit to upholding that. And and she wouldn't answer the question. So, I you know, I, I think that there, there were a lot of questions left unanswered. Of course, she's a big proponent of expanding charter schools, uh, school choice. So, you know, giving vouchers to low-income families then used toward private or religious schools. And, um, you know, she, she also said that she wouldn't necessarily prevent on this topic of guns, as we were saying, of, of, of President Trump from, from basically overturning gun-free zones in schools. If he were to just come and say that, you know, no school should be a gun-free zone, uh, she wouldn't necessarily, she would support the president, whatever he does. So a lot of concerns left, I think, for Democrats, teacher un- teachers unions, proponents of stricter gun laws, uh, and, and just people who don't believe that she's fit for this job. Yeah, I mean, and parents who, or uh, all America, who support our public school system. And she's, she's she has devoted her life and billions of dollars right. to undermining uh, our public school system rather than supporting it, which gets to a point that uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, who left our interview to go to this hearing, uh, raised um, as to why she got the job uh, in the first place. Here's Senator Sanders. I don't mean to be rude, but do you think <laughs> if you were not a multi-billionaire, if you, a family, has not made hundreds of millions of dollars of contributions to the Republican Party, that you would be sitting here today? Um, Senator, as a matter of fact, I do think that there would be that possibility. 
There would be that possibility. Feel uh, the burn. Feel the burn. That was right. That was a singe. It was a pretty cutthroat. Uh, well, right. look, she, she is, didn't give a great but, answer either. She but, is a Republican mega donor. Her family. I mean, she's never held public office like many of Donald Trump's right. uh, <clears throat> nominees. She's coming from the private sector. She has. She has extraordinary wealth. Her family is worth roughly $5.1 billion. Um, and in this case, she's someone who has directly donated to specific causes that now certainly Democrats and ethics watchdogs are curious as to whether she'd separate you know, that lifetime of lending toward giving toward a certain cause that she supports versus actually independent governance, which is what you would expect from an education secretary. Right. And she's also uh, made contributions to many members of the uh, Republican members of the Senate, right. uh, which which someone else has, has pointed out. So does she get confirmed or not? What do you think? She does, though, because the thing is that there's uh, uniform support for her among Republicans. And because of the rules changes, um, the filibuster change, she, she only needs a simple majority. And this is not one of the more controversial nominees in the sense of on both sides, whereas Rex Tillerson, the secretary of state, that's an open ended question because people like Marco Rubio, John McCain, Lindsey Graham, we don't know whether he has support from uh, enough Republicans, let alone Democrats, if they hold the line. Uh, and with Betsy DeVos, even if Democrats hold the line, there's no indication there's any Republican defections, mm-hmm. and in which case she would just be confirmed. Because she also she's a conservative activist who has yeah. a lot of support on the grassroots, but also from establishment figures like Jeb Bush and Mitt Romney, who have openly supported her and endorsed her candidacy or her nomination. I should right. say. Right, uh, and it's worth pointing out that uh, I would call him a former Democrat, Joe Lieberman. Right. Uh, introduced. <laughs> he introduced uh, her. Introduced. Very her. deliberate yes, move there. Right. The Capitol is locked down not just for the inauguration, but for the big battle for the DNC chair. <laughs> uh, and uh, it is underway right now. The decision will be made uh, sometime, I know, in February. When I, you, you think you know that at one time I was chair of the Democratic Party of California. And when I was Democratic Party chair in California, the man who was executive director of the New Hampshire Democratic Party was Ray Buckley, who is now chair of the New Hampshire Democratic Party, joins us in studio, Sabrina, and he's now running for chair of the mm. DNC. Hi, Ray. Hi, how are you? Why? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Democratic Party said we lost the Senate, lost the House, lost I don't know how many governorships, lost over 900 state legislatures. The Democratic mm-hmm. Party is a mess right now. Do you think you can fix it? Well, uh, I'm running out of a, a real sense of frustration uh, and the belief that uh, the answers uh, to the future of our party uh, is, is not within the beltway. Uh, while we were doing all of these uh, losses here in New Hampshire, uh, we were able, for the first time in history this year, uh, our entire congressional delegation was all Democratic. Mm-hmm. Never before in New Hampshire's history have we held both U.S. Senate, both congressional seats. They all happen to be great women uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, but we have been able to do, uh, during this time, we've won 11 out of the last 13 statewide races uh, in the last 10 years. Uh, New Hampshire uh, was a solid Republican uh, state uh, when I was growing up, uh, became a, a little purple, uh, and then became a lot purple. And now uh, the fact that we are winning uh, uh, races, uh, Hillary was able to uh, narrowly win uh, in New Hampshire while uh, so many other battleground states, uh, uh, she was not able to be successful. We were the only uh, battleground state that picked up a U.S. Senate seat. Uh, we defeated Kelly Ayotte uh, in the U.S. Senate. So, you know, 
when I was watching Maggie Hassan last night grilling uh, Mrs. DeVos, that was because of the work that we did, because she only won by 1,000 votes in, in New Hampshire, and we feel very proud of that. And how did John Sununu ever let this happen in New Hampshire? <laughs> <laughs> Your former governor, whom uh, just flashed into my mind when you were talking, because he was, when I first went to Crossfire, he yes. was there on the right, and he used to spar. Uh, well, you know, uh, the Sununu... How, so how did you do it? A serious question. How did you do it in New Hampshire? Uh, the challenge that we have across the country, uh, in, we I believe that we had the answer in New Hampshire, and I tried to articulate that to the leadership of the party after 2014. Um, and we're all talking about how do we better, how do we get our message out? How how do we connect? Well, the answer is simple. It's more billions on uh, national television ads uh, isn't the answer. It's really investing a small percentage of that into building a groundwork, uh, ground uh, network of folks, of neighbors talking to neighbors. So 2014 was a horrible year for Democrats mm -hmm. across the country. In New Hampshire, which was you know the swingiest of the swing Gene states, uh, we were able to hold on. Jean Chin, when she was reelected in 2014, was the only second Democrat ever reelected to the U.S. Senate in New Hampshire, ever. Uh, and Maggie Hassan was reelected governor despite being outspent two to one because the RGA came in with four million dollars to attack her on Boston TV. Um, so at the end of uh, of the election, I was like. Across the country, Democratic turnout was down 3%, but New Hampshire was up 4%. And I was like, okay, guys, tell me, tell me what, what was the difference? Then what we found out is that it was not uniform across the state. It was drastically different community by community. I'm like, okay, now New Hampshire, you know, 1.3 million people, all get the same newspaper, same TV, same everything. What was the only thing that was different? And it lined up perfectly. What were the communities where they had the most amount of people from that community knocking on doors and making phone calls? So investing in a ground operation, a long-term by the party, thanks to Jean Jean's leadership mm -hmm. since she became elected governor, where she said a strong Democratic Party was important. Uh, we were able to save her Senate seat because of the leadership she did when she was governor. And so I took that to the DNC and I said, look at this is what we need to do. We need to invest into into infrastructure and building a strong. Uh, and they're all like, oh, thank you very much, uh, guy from New Hampshire. But, you know, we're from the Beltway and we we're we're smarter. Well, if you if we were able to build that sort of ground operation that we have in New Hampshire that we've done without the support that that we had or if we just simply um, we would have won in 2016, uh, not just the presidency, but many of these other mm -hmm. races. If we had, when Howard Dean was, was chair, mm -hmm. the average state received about a quarter of a million dollars in staff and support, just roughly uh, a quarter of a million. It's down to less than 100,000 a year now. It's less than 100 in the best cases. So if we had just simply stayed at Howard Dean's level or in, and his 50 state it, the strategy. 50 state strategy, if we had continued, look at how well we did it in 06 and 08. And there were many factors to that. Mm -hmm. But we absolutely believe that the victories that we had were because we had a ground operation going on in all these states and the state parties were not uh, developed enough to be able to withstand uh, the, the stress of 2010. If we had continued that through 2010, 2012, 2014, 2016, we'd be looking at entirely different. So I'm, I'm not waiting for somebody from Washington or somebody who hasn't done this, because I'm afraid that somebody who hasn't actually had to be the, have the responsibility of running a party and electing people, frankly, I, you know, there's so much pressure from the D.C. folks to, oh, no, just do it in TV ads because everyone gets that kickback for running the TV ads. There's no kickback for running a field operation.
rayfordnc.com uh, is the website where people can find out more and perhaps uh, find out how they might be able to offer you some help. Ray Buckley, candidate uh, for chair of the DNC. The decision will be made when, Ray? And February 25th. February 25 at a DNC in meeting Atlanta. in yeah. Atlanta. Right. Uh, good luck, my friend. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. in today. Okay, fight the good fight and uh, love your ideas. Again, it's Ray, RayfordDNC.com. And Sabrina Siddiqui, always good. Nice to see you. Nice we'll see, see you here. back in here in this chair here pretty soon. Maybe. Have a great day, folks, guy. and come back tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show.